This week on Extinction Event, the Stellar's Sea Cow. These big, huggable marine mammals were so devoted to their fellow sea cows that they would try to pull out harpoons from their wounded friends. But tug as they might, it wouldn't be enough to stop Mother Russia from turning them into sea cow soup. Welcome to Extinction Event, a podcast about extinct and soon-to-be-extinct animals. I'm your host, Melissa Thomas, and I'm here with Jack Collier. Hi, Melissa. This week, we're talking about the stellar sea cow. And it's like a manatee, yeah. It is related to the manatee. Like a cousin? Yeah, like a cousin. Distinct cousin. Very. Tell me about this sea cow. Sounds fake. (laughs) Well, I would be more than happy to tell you about the sea cow, Jack. It was related to manatees. It is a herbivore. Mm -hmm. And they were huge. About the size of a killer whale. No. Yeah. That's massive. Mm -hmm. Most of them were over 25 feet long. Are you serious? Yeah. They could weigh up to 10 tons. So it looked like a, a huge manatee kind of it was the largest mammal to make it out of the ice age and survive into modern times wow that's like a floating dock yeah that's it lived in shallow waters because its main food was kelp so it would uh eat the kelp and its back would be exposed and it was sort of like a little floating island for other animals like birds would just hang out on them that's cool yeah a little condo, a little uh, vacation timeshare rental. Right. Well, they used to live all up and down the shores of the North Pacific Ocean, both sides. But after the last ice age, they had retreated to a small area way up north near the Bering Strait. Mm. You don't really need to know where that is, but this is like you know Alaska. Where it is. Yeah, it's way up there. Yeah, and and whenever I'm talking about the super popular Bering Land Bridge, that's when that froze over mm. between North America and Asia, right? So they had moved up there probably because of changing temperatures, uh, maybe because of hunting by I don't know, maybe because too many people were standing on their backs <laughs> in the warmer locations, and they just wanted some privacy. Yeah, that's a drag, man. You ever carry a kid around, like, uh, piggyback for too long? They're having a time of their life, but you're just like... Meanwhile, you're doing manual labor. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so they had moved up north to uh, the Commander Islands, and those are a small group of islands to the east of uh, Siberia, off the east coast of Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after the Ice Age, we estimate that there was around 2,000 of them living up there. Several groups of indigenous peoples had been living in the North Pacific for some time, and they had survived off of sea animals like seals, sea lions, otters, and the occasional sea cow. But they hadn't really posed any serious threat to the animals. Um, One of these groups, the Kamchatels, Mm -hmm. I'm uh, definitely not saying that right. I think you said that perfectly. Oh, wow. 
I have no idea. They had been in the area for 30,000 years before our story even begins today. The sea cows or the Kamchatels? The Kamchatels. Did I say it right? I, I'm liking the way you're saying it, so let's go with that. That was just gut instinct. Okay. Maybe you got some distant Kamchatel heritage in there. I can take a test and find out. You're either a distant cousin of the manatee or the Kamchatel. Oh, oh. Loki bird. <laughs> I wasn't right. expecting to get roasted this early in the morning. <laughs> okay, so let's begin. It is Russia, the 1700s. The Russian Empire... Human rights are rampant. (laughs) (laughs) The Russian Empire is looking to explore the Far East, past Siberia and to the eastern coasts of the North Pacific. Most of Siberia at this time was an unexplored wilderness. Uh, There were small populations of people living there, uh, and fur traders were already working there. They were kind of like the frontiersmen of Russia. Mm-hmm. But the empire wasn't really sure what was beyond that, and more importantly, if there was money to be made there. In a lot of ways, this is a precursor to what would happen later in America with westward expansion. Yeah. But they're going east. But we're going to the same same place, kind of. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, I kind of forgot that when I started doing research for this. I was, we, you don't learn a lot about Russia when you are uh, no. in school in, in America. Yeah, just you telling me about this, it's like, yeah, well, of of course, there's probably a time when that happened, but it's just nothing I've ever thought about. Right. And it was way before it happened. They didn't have a gold rush. It was like, you know, tungsten rush or (laughs) some other precious metal. (laughs) All right. So the Russians recruit a German naturalist named George Wilhelm Steller. Stellar, you see. I'm uh, starting to put things together. Yeah. So they recruit him to go on an expedition out east and survey those coasts and the islands in the northern Pacific. So this is kind of a um, Lewis and Clark of Russia. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So naturalists back then weren't really the same as the naturalists we have today. They don't make their own granola. <laughs> Uh, They do, but it would probably be made out of rare animals. Mm. (laughs) It was kind of a new idea back then. Um, So he was hired to provide raw data about the plants and the animals he encountered. But that data was collected with the purpose of using it to assess, like, can we move there? Can, uh, how would we conduct military maneuvers in the area? And can we make money off of those plants and animals? So basically a naturalist was to provide information about potential exploitation of an area. Yeah. It wasn't what they do today, which would be more... Conservation-based. Yeah. This is exploitation-based. Exactly. Nice. So that's basically what he's hired to do. And like I said back then, that was new. They hadn't really honed the craft. Uh, They didn't really treat animals very good. For instance, Stellar... Uh, one time he blinded a sea lion and provoked his fellow sea lions to tear it to pieces. If you pay me a million dollars, <laughs> I could not get a bunch of sea lions 
to tear another sea lion apart. <laughs> yeah, what? What? What did he like? The soak gunpoint. Put a bunch of kelp on him. Yeah. <laughs> How do they explain this anymore in the book, or it's just like, oh, and this happened, anyways. <laughs> no, and I've I've heard a lot of stories about naturalists back then doing stuff like that, but how they do it, I don't know. Wow. Perhaps animals were easier to manipulate back then. I guess so, but I'm just having trouble wrapping my mind around how you get... Do you, you like, starve them? You put them all in a cage? How do you... It's not just going up and poking with a stick. I I can't even think... I can't think of this. Maybe we're not giving this guy enough credit. It seems like a very difficult thing to do. It's like you'd have to... So first he blinds the sea lion. So I'm guessing that wasn't just like he put a blindfold. I've probably gouged its eyes out. Oh, of course. And then like covered it in fish guts, perhaps. And then it was like flopping around with fish guts and the other sea lions are like, hey. Yeah. Okay. I'll go for that. But what, what do you learn from that? And he's like, oh, good job, fellas. We did it. <laughs> Uh, good hard day of work. Yeah. Uh, it took a while to get the sea lion's eyes all gouged out and covered with fish guts, but <laughs> all of today's work. A win for science today. We, Gentlemen, we've done it. <laughs> we've confirmed that sea lions will tear each other apart, given the right conditions. <laughs> okay. So this expedition leaves uh, with Stellar from St. Petersburg in 1741. They make it to the North Pacific, and they do encounter some of those indigenous people I talked about. Not just the Kamchatels, there's other ones as well. Um, No surprise, but these interactions would also be a preview of later colonial relations in North America. Uh, not necessarily this first trip, but later there'd be a lot of oppression and fighting and uh, forced labor. As is tradition. Right. So Stellar and the expedition are sailing around the area and their ship wrecks. They wreck on one of the commander islands. Was, oh. it, was it the SS Karma? <laughs> they wreck on one of the commander islands, which you know that's where the... Uh, the sea cows are, oh. uh, and I believe it's called Bering Island, and it is a desolate place. It's in the winter that they crash, I believe, and to survive, the men dig holes into the ground to keep them warm. Those holes end up turning into graves. Hmm. Convenient. I'll just lay down here and die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some of them do survive, though, and one of them is stellar. And when it finally warms up in the spring, they're able to hunt for food. It starts with the sea otters, uh, later fur seals. The uh, the sea otters are just an appetizer. <laughs> they bring them out first, just to wet your beak a little, a little huh? something to snack on. Then they move on to the first course, which is seals. Fur seals, yeah. Fur seals. And then eventually they do discover the sea cow. Something a little lighter the fur seals and then they get to the main course the sea cow and i i will say that at no point were they like and then they decided to name the sea cow after stellar or stellar decided to name it the stellar sea cow i don't know is it at this point that he decides to name the cow after him or do you do that later i think if you're like a captain like that you're naming it immediately after yourself 
Wow. That takes some balls. I mean, this guy's got big egos. He's probably, you know, the whole expedition, he's probably naming things off after <laughs> And this is the sea otter, the stellar sea otter. And this is the stellar sea uh, fur seal. His shipmates are like, hey, why don't you go dig a den to go sleep in, buddy? Dig me a stellar hole in the ground. <laughs> Okay, so the sea cow was described at the time, not sure if Stellar did this, but it sounds like something he would say, as having heads that were the most foolish-looking thing you ever saw, they waved their front flippers as a fat man waves his arms. Fucking roasted. (laughs) How are you going to roast an animal like that and then name it after yourself? (laughs) Right? Seems like you'd want to name it after someone who you're trying to make fun of. That's true. That's like, true. That, you know, here like, I describe the most ridiculous looking animal that I name after me. Oh, man. I, uh, naturalist in the 1700s. That's, uh, what a profession am I? <laughs> All right, so right off, you could tell they have a lot of respect for the creature. Yeah. Uh, th- well, th- they haven't performed any tests to see if it'll eat itself <laughs> yet. I'm sure that would come. So they they lived in herds, and they had a really close-knit social group. They remained true to their mates for life. They're also really easy to kill. Like I said earlier, they grazed on kelp and shallow water, and that often exposed their backs uh, so that makes them an easy target. And, and they also weren't afraid of humans. We've heard this before with the Falkland Islands wolves. Most of them probably hadn't seen a human ever before. Uh, so they just they hadn't developed that fear. Yeah. But more importantly than them being easy to kill is that they were really delicious. delicious. Yeah. For real? Wow. Yeah. So uh, the sea lions and, and the fur seals weren't that good tasting but the sea cow was just a delicacy it was outstanding Mm -hmm. Mm. compliments to the chef so they start feasting on these sea cows and when they'd harpoon one and pull it towards the shore the other sea cows would go after it and try to save it Uh, they'd circle it they'd try to pull the harpoon out and if they did get one on shore, the family members would come back and check on that dead family member for days after it was killed. Whoa. Yeah, so they were pretty big sweethearts. <laughs> Just big, lovable. You're not meant for the world long uh, with those skills. I know. I... They're they're just like cuddly little bears of the ocean. I was like, hey there, pal. Uh I uh, couldn't help but notice that you're eating Phil there. Cut off his head, and now you're having him for dinner. Uh, We had invited Phil for dinner earlier, but I understand. You guys are new. (laughs) Okay, so they're feasting on all these sea animals, and finally they fix the boat. Stellar takes a bunch of the sea otter pelts back with him. He makes a bunch of money off this. And he also tells St. Petersburg about the delicious sea cows. Mission accomplished. There's money to be made out there. And there's also a big Chinese market for fine furs at this time. So now there is a rush out east. 
to uh, to get in on the sea otter pelts mainly. Yeah. Okay, because that's what they want. Not so much the sea cow. Russia controls its subjects' access to the area. You need permission to go there. The first person they grant permission to is a man called Basov. And he is a promishlinik. Come again? <laughs> Look, I'm not even going to pretend that I know how to say that word. Okay. All right. So I have elicited some help from my Russian stepmother, Galina, mm-hmm. who is from St. Petersburg. She's here to uh, help us with the pronunciation of this word. Hit me. Okay. Промышленник. 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 Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you for that, Galena. Yeah. Okay, so what, what is that? That is a fur hunter. Kind of like last week we had those buffalo mm-hmm. hide hunters. So they grant this dude permission to hunt exclusively on Bering Island, later on Copper Island. Those are both Commander Islands, which is where the sea cows live, uh, for a fee, of course. Uh, He kills a bunch of sea otters and Arctic foxes, and uh, right away, this would start a pretty quick reduction in the sea otter population. And again, that sea otter is driving the fine fur market. Not so much the sea cow. That's just the food to fuel the uh, massacre of the sea otter. Okay, so eventually they grant another dude exclusive hunting rights. But I guess it's not really earning them enough money. The fees they're collecting aren't enough just with this monopoly on hunting. So they open up the hunt for everyone for a fee, of course. Hmm. So after that, within about five years, the sea otters are in serious decline because everybody's in on it. Yeah, it's open season. Mm -hmm. Are they just clubbing them? Are they cutting their heads off with swords? What's the preferred method of murder here? Yeah, I didn't get into much how how they were doing the sea otters. I'm assuming there's harpooning. A little miniature harpoon. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be a little tiny. An otter-sized one. (laughs) You're right. They're probably clubbing. Okay. I don't know. I have no idea. And the thing is, Russia wasn't a stranger to hunting regulations. They had implemented some restrictions in Siberia already because of decline in animals like sables, foxes, squirrels, and wolverines. They were limiting hunting to a season. You couldn't hunt young animals or mothers. But they just decided not to do this out here. Yeah. So, Like, it's far away. Who cares? I guess when it comes down to this, like with the buffalo and the treaties, if you need the money, you know, all those regulations just go to the wind. Mm-hmm. All those rules are... And who's going to enforce it anyways? Yeah, I don't know. What are they going to do? Send you to Siberia? <laughs> you're already... <laughs> yeah, you're already there. <laughs> exactly. So the... Pramyslinik. <laughs> go wilds. <laughs> There are, you know, no regulations, and they are also using the indigenous people, mostly by force, to do most of the hunting for them because they were better at it. They'd been doing it for a long time. And the whole time this is going on with the sea otters, the sea cows are providing food for the hunters. One carcass could feed 30 men for a month. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, They weren't just used as food, though. They were also used as oil and leather for the construction of Aleut-style kayaks. Aleuts are another indigenous people in the area. 
but killing it was also very wasteful. Five were killed for every one consumed. What would happen is a harpooned animal would often swim out to sea, or I'm assuming the family members would somehow surround it, yeah. and pull it away from the uh, hunters, and it would die out at sea. Okay, so they're burning through these sea cows and the sea otters in the Commander Islands. And now the sea otter population is so low, it it just wasn't profitable to hunt there anymore. So the fur traders move from the Commander Islands to the near Aleutian Islands. Those aren't that far away. And this island hopping trend just keeps going on until they pretty much wipe out the sea otters in that whole area up there. And I'm skipping ahead, but eventually, many, many years later, after conservation efforts are put into place, the otter population does eventually return to this area. Nice. But this isn't a story about the sea otter. It's a story about the sea cow. And for the sea cow, things weren't looking so good. Not a happy ending. No. Around 1768-69, it's reported that the Stellar Sea Cow had gone extinct. Hey, <laughs> whoa, wait, yeah. did you skip ahead here? <laughs> no, man, it's it's crazy. It's just like they talk about how delicious it is and everybody is eating these guys up. But then all of a sudden, they're like, hey, yeah, uh, we haven't seen any of those sea cows in a they while. They open the fridge and be like, Where'd, hey, <laughs> there's a sea cow I had in here. <laughs> Did you eat my sea cow? Like, I haven't seen a sea cow in a long time. I didn't eat it. Right. Well, it was bullshit. It had my name on it. <laughs> it does seem like that's what happened. Uh, it was about a span of, 30 year, of less than 30 years that it took, uh, but those fur hunters had slowly but surely hunted it into extinction. I guess the big obvious eye-opener for the hunters was that uh, they no longer had a cheap food source to fuel their expeditions. They weren't like going out there doing like, hey, everybody, we need to do a count of how many sea cows are left. It was just one day. Yeah, they opened the fridge and all the food was gone. (laughs) Extinction event is brought to you by... Shoelaces. Not Mammoth Bar. Yeah, that's true. Um, Mammoth Bar and us are... Kind of on a hiatus. (laughs) If you listened to last week's episode, you would probably know why. Shoelaces come in a bunch of different colors and not flavors like vanilla almond or macadamia coconut or goji berry trail mix or cinnamon cashew. These shoelaces are great. They don't come untied. They don't taste nearly as good as as that other mammoth bar stuff we used to do. No, they don't. And I've I've tried them. We've all tried them. They don't taste as good as Mammoth Bar. But hey, what what can you do? That's what we have now. We have shoelaces. Are these shoelaces certified organic? Nope. Can you eat them as a snack? No. Uh-huh. No. I bet you they have gluten and dairy and soy and a lot of extra fillers in them too, unlike Mammoth Bar. All that stuff that Mammoth Bar used to not have. Yeah. Hmm. Also, you remember Mammoth Bar was made in small batches, and these shoelaces are made on a big corporate factory room floor. Biggest batches. Yeah. Wow. 
Anyways, buy shoelaces. If you want to get some shoelaces, you could go onto Google and search for them. Unlike Mammoth Bar, where you would have gone to mammothbar.com to get that perfect snack in bar form. Shoelaces. Anyway, so nobody really thinks about it too much. In fact, we didn't even really think extinction existed back then. It was a new concept. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess when the dodo went extinct, no one really even realized that for like 80 years. Yeah, they're like, there's probably other ones right. on the other side of the island or something. Right. So we kind of forget about the stellar sea cow. A lot of people, fur hunters, even denied that it ever even existed. That's cool. Right. Okay, so then there's this thing called the Billings Expedition. Basically, this English guy starts criticizing the way Rush is doing stuff out there. I'm not going to get into that. It's super boring. But (laughs) eventually, Russia starts caring about naturalist stuff beyond its financial value. And this brings attention back to the sea cow. And people are like, hey, yeah, I kind of remember those super nice sea friends uh, that also tasted really delicious. Whatever happened to those dudes? Weighed a ton, ate a bunch of kelp, tastes delicious. (laughs) Sea cows, right? Yeah. So the naturalists are trying to figure out what happened. Uh, Looking back, it seems pretty obvious that they were hunted into oblivion. But back then, we just didn't think we had that kind of control over nature. You know, God was controlling everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was made... In comes God. (laughs) If you think he wasn't going to get his beak wet on this, (laughs) you're wrong. You know, he was responsible for kind of maintaining this perfect balance. And there's no way that humans, us little insignificant humans, could actually eliminate one of the creatures that he had intended to be there. So, like you said, with the dodo, you know, maybe if it disappeared from the North Pacific that it had just gone somewhere else. It popped up somewhere else on another part of the continent. So that kind of sparks a search for the sea cow and cash prizes are offered. Dead or alive. (laughs) (laughs) And they search for a decade and they can't find anything. Oh, come on. Like, year seven, you know you're not finding anything. I'm, like, two months in. I'm I'm thrown in the towel, I, you know. You're a, in a Russian family, and your, like, cousin has been out there searching for sea cows <laughs> for seven years. Are you really like, yeah, he's going to find it one day. Thanksgivings like, are on. awkward, you know. They're you're still like... looking for those sea cows, huh? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What do they weigh, 2,000 pounds? Real elusive. You'd think they'd find some bones, at the very least, but they probably ate the bones. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so eventually what happens is that scientists and naturalists can't really deny its extinction anymore. Around this time, we're starting to discover new stuff, like fossils and the fossil record and slowly the scientific community begins to understand that extinction does exist and humans can cause it Uh, this is a pretty big moment take that god (laughs) yeah you know this realization that that we can do this and from that moment on 
all human-caused extinctions cease to exist. Wow. That was it. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't learn anything from this, and we continue to do it to this day. But (laughs) It's just kind of like a a nice to know. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's good to know that a sea lion will tear apart another sea lion if you gouge its (laughs) eyes out and cover it with fish guts. Uh, All right. So obviously no one wanted to take credit for this. And uh, even though Stellar probably should have, I mean, he provided a convenient map to their location and details about how to make them into a stew in his uh, cookbook (laughs) 100 ways to serve sea cow by stellar probably didn't help things no so the russians came up with some uh workarounds to kind of get out of taking credit for it but probably the most legitimate one was that the decline in sea otter population led to an increase in sea urchins the sea urchins eat kelp. So they started eating more kelp, which is also the sea cow's main source of food. Mm. So there's a theory that this could have led to a decrease in their numbers. But even taking this into account, the hunters alone would have hunted them into extinction probably far faster than that. Than them starving to death. Right. Yeah. So I don't know, just throwing it out there. So the sea cow extinction deniers are a staple of any sea cow extinction. Many people claim to uh, have seen it well into the 1800s. They were seeing it all up and down the coasts, even as far down as California. Uh, In fact, we uh, still hear claims of sightings today. Really? To this day, yes. Uh, But those sightings are probably mistaken for manatees or just well-timed roasts at the beach <laughs> oh i see i see i'd like to report a sea cow <laughs> yeah it's uh waiting just off the water <laughs> by the santa monica pier i see i told you i go on a diet karen <laughs> how you getting manatee there's no manatees on on the in California, is there? The sightings nowadays aren't in California; they're in other places. My thing is that you're talking about a creature that was the size of a killer whale. It could weigh ten tons. You're not going to mistake that for a sea cow that you see down in Florida, mm-hmm. right? Those guys aren't anywhere near that size. Here's my thing: I think it's hard to tell scale in the ocean. Yeah. Because it's not anything that you can look at and get a good sense of how big it is. Right. So maybe, you know, a regular-sized manatee might seem big or a giant manatee might seem small. Well, I don't know. Um, I'm willing to give a cash prize for evidence. Oh, really? <laughs> Seek out. Yeah, man, they seem so friendly. How much the bullets put it out there? Melissa's putting a cash prize for evidence of any sea cows. Okay, I take it back. I'm not gonna offer a cash prize. I don't got that kind of cash. Yeah, but what if someone found it? I re- I guess I could get ten thousand, but I want it alive. Don't bring me a dead one. <laughs> don't bring me a dead passenger pigeon. Look, the chances are the four people who listen to this podcast <laughs> aren't gonna be the ones who find a giant sea cow. 
So everyone heard it. It's a bi- legally binding contract. If you want a quick 10 grand, go out there and find it. Uh, well, thanks for playing, Stellar Sea Cow. Wish you weren't so sweet, both inside and out. <laughs> kind of an anticlimactic uh, extinction there. I know. I, I probably could have. No, not made, on your made. part. On just the the sea cows part it's funny because it's just like this time where we're like no extinctions don't exist and you could just do whatever you want i mean also what's funny is that all of this happens Mm -hmm. russia does develop some conservation techniques and they end up helping the sea otters but then when they sell alaska to america later yeah we like just forget that all that happened and we basically do the same thing to the sea otters again <laughs> it's just like oh yeah yeah well, humans can cause extinctions thanks thanks for that uh information <laughs> it's good to know well this week on countdown clock to extinction a relative of the stellar sea cow the dugong It is part of a family of mammals that used to be quite diverse, and those included the stellar sea cow. But the dugong is the only remaining member, okay? Closest living relative of the stellar sea cow is the dugong? Yes. Okay. It's smaller, obviously, than the stellar sea cow. It lives in the Indo-West Pacific and is currently considered vulnerable. And it's not like with this one there's only a couple left, but hey... I think we owe it to uh, the stellar sea cow to save these guys Mm -hmm. and also to honor last week's episode where we had our first non-extinction. It's not too late. They are threatened right now because of overhunting habitat loss and getting entangled in fishing nets. But serious efforts are underway to save them and the seagrass that sustain it through a variety of measures, things like education, policy change, and local stewardship. Melissa, I heard that um, a big uh, hazard to any uh, manatee-like creature isn't so much hunting as getting run over by boats. Oh, they get, they get their back chopped up? Because they, you know, they're hard to see, mm-hmm. and they just look like a little oh, bump, wow. and they just get boinked. Yeah, and they're just grazing on... Yeah. On grasses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Dang. Is that the same with dugongs? Sure. I'm sure that's one of the things adding to it. Yeah. It, that's just off the top of my head. I know I didn't like read a book or anything. <laughs> Killing techniques of mm-hmm. manatees in the Indo-West Pacific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're writing it. First draft. <laughs> so I bring it up because I've heard some listeners are f- super frustrated that Every time we do a show, an animal dies. Uh, <laughs> that really, that's been a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is called extinction I know, event. I know, but the reason I like to do Countdown Clock is because there are animals you can help save, and here's your chance, and this is one. Normally, I'd say go check out the Extinction Pod on Twitter, but no one ever does. So, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to help out the dugong, go directly to dugongconservation.org or to the dugong project on twitter and if i'm just saying it crazy it's spelled d-u-g-o-n-g and you can learn more about them there and also go subscribe to their newsletter on that website and you could help save them 
If you're getting sad, do something about it. All right, well, that about does it. Don't forget to rate the show if you can figure out how to do it. And check us out on Twitter at Extinction Pod for more info and pictures of the stellar sea cow and the dugong. Tune in next time. Bye. A Peg Leg Deer production.